All right, Second Timothy chapter number 4. And uh, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. I preached from this passage not too long ago, but I want to give you just a little bit different thought on it tonight. Verse number 1, the Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I want to pause there for just a moment and say I see that unfolding before our very eyes today. Never has the church been so scared of doctrine as it is today. Never has the church been so infiltrated with the idea of teaching. You say, preacher, are you against teaching? No, not in the least. I think teaching is a wonderful tool. I think that's important. But I do not believe it can replace the preaching of the Word of God. If you'll notice, uh, with much of the modern church today, the theme is teaching. You say, why is that, preacher? Well, because teaching presents you with truth, but preaching applies it to our lives. Teaching says, here is a fact. Preaching says, here is your life, and here's how it needs to be applied. So man has never really had a problem with the acknowledgement of truth. It's the acceptance of truth that he's had a problem with. So today we find a infiltrating of teaching and a subverting of preaching by teaching today. And I think we just need to stay with preaching, don't you? I think preaching ought to teach you something. But I don't think we ever need to move away from the preaching of the Word of God. Look what it says in verse number 5. It says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now notice what Paul says here. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to ask you to bless your word tonight. I want to ask you to do in hearts what only you can. Father, my prayer is that your people would have come expecting tonight to hear from you. Lord, my heart's desire is that you'd move upon our hearts, that you'd speak to our lives. Father, if there's one amongst us that is lost and does not know Christ, has never accepted your Son as their Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night they'd do that. Lord, I pray that tonight if there's one that's far from you, they'd be drawn close. Lord, one that's discouraged, they'd be uplifted. Lord, you know what each and every need is. 
I cannot in the arm of flesh presume to know the heart's need, but Lord, You through Your Spirit do know the need, and I just pray You'd meet it. Lord, help us to glorify You and help us to honor You tonight in all that we do. We love You, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's interesting as we read the book of 2 Timothy to consider these last few statements made about these individuals. Certainly a wealth of knowledge can be gained just by reading the individuals mentioned in Paul's epistles. But what's interesting to me is that Paul thought it worthy to take the last few moments of the last letter that he wrote to young Timothy. Uh, It's evident when we read our text and he says in verse number 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knows he's getting ready to die. Paul was beheaded, of course, by the Roman emperor Nero. And he knows that it's not going to be long before he goes home to be with the Lord. And yet it's interesting that he still takes these few moments to jot down a few biographical notes about these men. In other words, Paul was saying, after I'm gone, I want these men to be remembered in this way. Certainly the Word of God has that effect. We hear of the uh, young woman that had worshipped the Lord and the Bible says that afterwards everywhere that the gospel would be preached that this testimony would be given of her that she wrought a good work. And the Word of God has a solidifying effect on the lives of these characters. We remember these men by these truths. Do you know that you and I brethren, we're writing as it were a story of our lives. I've titled the message tonight, A Blank Epitaph. We all walk through the graveyard from time to time. Maybe I'm just weird. Amen. I don't know, but I'm sure you've been in a graveyard from time to time and read the little epitaphs that are upon tombstones. Just a short phrase, just a short message to sum up the life of that person. And some people give something about being a good father or a good uh, mother. Some people give something about uh, being a loving husband or a loving wife. Some people give something uh, about their faith and what they believe in. And that stands as a testimony for all time, or at least as long as time can concerning their life. And do you know that you and I were putting memories in the minds of those around us? Uh, Probably, if we were to think of certain men in history, if I was to just throw a name out there, there'd be a certain name or a certain ideal or a certain truth that you'd remember. If I was to say the name Winston Churchill, there'd be certain things that come to your mind. Or if I was to uh, say the name Genghis Khan, there'd be certain things come to your mind. Or if I was to say the name certainly Adolf Hitler, there's certain things that come to your mind immediately and they've left a legacy and they've left a truth that screams louder than any epitaph that could have been written. We certainly see that this is the truth about these men. And I want to just preach with this simple thought. How is it that people are going to remember you? What kind of testimony are you leaving for those around you? Do you realize that you and I are witnesses? Whether we like that or not, whether we accept that or not, we are witnesses. We may be a good witness, we may be a bad witness. We all have testimonies, maybe a good testimony, maybe a bad testimony. But everybody thinks something about each and every one of us. And chances are that you are the representative of Christianity to someone in this world. There's probably someone when they think of a Christian, they associate your name with it. What are they associating with the name of Jesus Christ? I want us to notice four or five of these men here and some things about their lives. I want you to notice first off verse 10. Very familiar, probably not going to tell you anything you don't already know about this man. But if I was to say the name Demas, your mind would immediately go to this phrasing. It says, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed Unto Thessalonica. 
Now, there's other things written about Demas. But if I ask you uh, to name something about Demas, most people will immediately say, well, that's the man that forsook Paul. That's the man that turned his back on ministry. That's the man that left the work of the Lord. And can I say about Demas that he is remembered for his retreat. He's remembered as a man that turned back on the Lord. You know, it's a sad testimony, but it's just the truth in the day that we live in, that there's lots of folks turning away from the cause of Christ. We see it all the time, and uh, maybe uh, those that are not involved in ministry, certainly as a pastor and knowing other pastors and preachers, I could sit here and name off one by one men that used to stand upon the King James Bible, men that used to stand upon old-time worship, men that used to stand upon Christ-honoring music, men that used to stand on a pure gospel of Jesus Christ, that no longer do they've retreated, they've turned away for the things of the world. They've turned away for pride. They've turned away for power. They've turned away for prominence. And they've turned away for prosperity. But you know, as we read this passage about Demas, I don't know that his change was a doctrinal change. We don't necessarily hear of Demas preaching great heresy. But all we learn is that the things of the world were enough to lure him away from the side of the Apostle Paul. Do you know that the retreat that most Christians make is not into uh, full-on satanic worship but rather simply into worldliness. You know, most of us would have to admit this about our life. Uh, There's certain areas of our life that we are less committed to the Lord in today than we once were. It's interesting, every year we have camp, and um, we spend a lot of time talking to the kids about the difference that their life is going to be when they go home. I likened this past year in our last service, we always have a short, uh, almost devotional type service with the young people right before they leave. And uh, I spent some time talking to them about the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, how that Christ had took Peter and James and John upon the mountaintop with him. And up there they saw some incredible things. They saw some things that were new and fresh to them. They saw some things that they really could not explain. The Bible says that Peter was not what to say. They saw some things that had left them speechless. They saw the mighty presence of God. And it was to such degree that Peter said, Lord, let's just make three tabernacles and let's just stay right where we're at. It's interesting when we're on the mountaintop, we always want to stay there. When we hit the valley, we're soon to forget the bliss that the mountaintop was. But the sad reality is this. There was work to be done off of the mountain. They needed to leave the mountain. There was a young boy that the other disciples could not help at the foot of the mountain. And there was work that had to be done. They had to leave the mountain and go back down the hillside. I talked to the young people about the difference it would be when they got back home. They're surrounded by uh, people that want them to love Jesus Christ. They're surrounded by people that want them to serve the Lord. You get them up there and you get the phones out of their hands, the computers out of their hands, and you get the TVs out of their hands, and uh, the video games out of their hands, and all the various things that I'm afraid we use to, uh, uh, to try to tone down our children's imaginations. I don't know that it's working, Brother Ralph, but we use all these things, and you get them away from that and allow them a little peace and quiet so they can hear the still small voice of God. And it's amazing what Christ can do. But inevitably, as they come back home and they enter a hostile environment concerning the things of Christ, there are some that are forever changed. But there are others who, once they get back in the world, they find the things of the world to be more alluring than the things of God. And I'll preach to the young people, and I'll say often, I'll ask them often, various young people, are you keeping your commitment that you made at camp? 
Are you keeping the standards that you had at camp? Are you keeping the uh, decisions and the and the the fortified resolves that you made at camp? Are you keeping those for Jesus Christ? Sad to say, many of the kids don't. Some of them do. As long as some do, by the way, we'll keep on doing it. Amen. It's still worth it. It's still worth the work. It's still worth the money. It's still worth the time. As long as they're getting saved, as long as some are growing closer to Christ, it's still worth the work and the time that's put into it as long as we can. But you know, the truth is we adults are just as bad about it. There's some of you, and I, and I don't know anyone's hearts or lives, but there's some of you that have probably had times when you made commitments to Jesus Christ. Things you would bring into your home or things you wouldn't let in your home. Things you would do for Jesus Christ or things that you wouldn't do because it would hurt Him and displease Him. Some decisions that you made and some commitments when you were excited about serving God. What was it that Demas had done? The Bible calls Demas Paul's fellow labor. There was a time when he was involved. There was a time when he was serving. There was a time when it was important to him the things of God was. But here when we get to 2 Timothy, all he's known for is turning his back on the work of the Lord. Isn't it a sad testimony? There's a lot of preachers that get shipwrecked. There's a lot of pressures in ministry and a lot of people looking at you. And I believe the devil has a deep desire to try to destroy preachers because for every one preacher he can destroy, usually he can destroy 10 or 15 church members along with him. That's just the way that it is. When you follow a man and when you listen to a man, usually if you can destroy him, you can use him to discourage others from serving Jesus Christ. And I've seen preachers get shipwrecked. And it's a sad testimony that they've taken all that God's given them and all that God's done and thrown it away for a moment of pleasure. Thrown it away having loved this present world. But church members are as guilty as preachers are at many times, Ralph. The difference is we don't notice as much. You know, uh, there's many people that uh, go to churches and uh, if they don't ever get plugged in, if they don't get involved, and if they don't come very often, uh, if they were to leave, people would notice, they'd miss them. But it wouldn't be long before you'd just get used to not seeing them there. And it's easier in some ways for church members to stray and to move away. And this is what Demas did. We have no uh, reason to believe that Demas just woke up one day and chose worldliness. We have no reason to believe that Demas just woke up one day and turned his back all in one moment. It could have been a gradual and slow change that took place. But regardless, the testimony that Demas left was one of retreat. He was a man that went back. He was a man that turned his back. He was a man that never came home. I want to point out, though, lest I overburden you, let me give you a second thing, and I like this. Look what he says. Uh, Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, only Luke is with me. Listen to this. It says, take Mark. Many of us know him as John Mark. Bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Now, I realize I'm, ex- I'm speaking tonight to a lot of people that have been in church for a lot of years, heard a lot of things preached, a lot of Sunday school lessons. So if you've heard this before, you just bear with me. But John Mark was a young man, the nephew of a man by the name of Barnabas. He grew up there at the church at Jerusalem. He was a man that had seen God do mighty things. In fact, it was his mother's house that uh, Simon Peter was guided to by the angel whenever he had been imprisoned by Herod, or he went there after the angel had released him from prison. John Mark had no doubt seen the prayer meeting and been a part of that. 
A lot of people believe, and I tend to believe this way too, that John Mark was probably the young man in the garden the night that Christ was betrayed. In fact, I believe that's why he was the only person that had that information that had been out walking alone that night, and he was dressed only in a linen cloth, and he had stayed when no one else had stayed at that point in his life. And he was following uh, the Lord when the soldiers saw him. They reached and grabbed and pulled the linen cloth off of him, and he went running along. That's enough to traumatize anybody, isn't it, Brother Rapp? <laughs> but he went running off. John Mark was a man that had seen some things. He was a young man that had been involved in ministry. He was a young man that had grown up around it. I don't want to raise of hands. In fact, I prefer to not have one. But let me ask you this question. How many of us have grown up around it? We've heard the gospel preached from a young age. We've heard the truth of God's word expounded to us since we were just almost in diapers. Some of us in diapers. As a young man, I was carried just weeks after I was born into the church house. And God's house has always been a part of my life. That's how John Mark was. John Mark had been around it his whole life. Well, one day John Mark decides that he wants to have a part in the ministry. So he goes with Barnabas and uh, Saul of Tarsus, who they're calling Paul. And he goes with them on some missionary journeys. And he sees some remarkable things. But you'll find that in the book of Acts, that when they came to a place named Pamphylia, not much is said about this, Brother Ralph. And I'm, boy, I'm thankful that God doesn't maximize on our mistakes, aren't you? Aren't you thankful when you mess up that God doesn't maximize upon that? Now you say, are you saying, preacher, that that won't hurt my relationship with the Lord? No, it'll hurt your relationship with the Lord. But I'm thankful there's not a whole lot said about what happens with John Mark. It says in the book of uh, Acts that when they came to Pamphylia that John Mark departed and returned to Jerusalem. Well, now you don't think a lot about that until later on when it comes time for another missionary journey. And Barnabas decides that he wants to take John Mark along. When he does, the apostle Paul says, we're not taking John Mark with us. He departed from us and went not to the work. Much like Demas had done. In fact, we could be saying about John Mark, if things hadn't been a little bit different, uh, Brother Charlie, we could be saying about John Mark that John Mark hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We could be saying John Mark was a turncoat. We could be saying that John Mark was remembered for his retreating. The Bible says that the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas that they, they split ways. Paul took Silas went into Europe and Barnabas took John Mark and they went in two different directions. But we find by the end of Paul's life that he makes this statement about John Mark. He says, I want you to bring him with me. He's profitable to the ministry. John Mark is not remembered for his retreat, though he did retreat. John Mark is remembered for his returning. Isn't it a blessed thought that you and I, brethren, we don't have to be remembered for our retreat. I don't know if you're like me, but there's been times I've turned my back on the Lord. Say, you're a preacher. Yeah, that's right. Flesh and bone, blood. Hey, dealing with a sin nature. That's right. That's right. And there's been times I've turned my back on God. There's been times I've gotten angry at God. There's not been any times that I know that I've spent extensive periods of time bitter or angry towards God. But I've had my moments like I'm sure you've had yours. There's been times when I wasn't even angry at God. I was just apathetic towards Him. She didn't care what he said, didn't care what he thought. Say, not you, preacher. Oh, you don't know me like the Lord knows me. Sure, there's been times like that. But I'm thankful that the Bible says that there's forgiveness found with the Lord. I'm thankful that our God is uh, gracious and full of mercy. And the book of Lamentations says His mercies are new every morning. 
John Mark was provided with an opportunity to come back. I'm thankful that you and I... Hey, listen, there ain't much worse you can do than turning your back and, and leaving and walking away from the Lord. You know that? There's not much worse that you can do. I mean, it's one thing to fall to a moment of temptation, but John Mark didn't just go back a mile or two and then change his mind. John Mark went back and he stayed. John Mark left the work of God and he stayed for a period of time. We don't know how long. We don't know when it was that John Mark repented of that and got right with the Lord. But it was an extensive period of time. Certainly it's not until we come to the end of Paul's life that we hear him referenced in this way. I don't care how far you've gone. You've not gone too far for the Lord to forgive you. I don't care how what you've done. You've not done so much that the Lord can't forget. You say, oh, preacher, and I, and I hear it all the time. I mean, I've heard it time and time again. When you witness people, you'll hear people say this. In fact, I was talking to a lady, it's just been a few months ago, that got saved in one of our services. And I was talking to her outside in the parking lot after I said, uh, what happened to you in there? I believe her name was Emily. What happened to you, Emily, in there? And she said, well, I, you know, I got saved. I said, tell me about that. And she told me uh, about what she had asked the Lord to do. And I said, well, do you believe that He saved you? She said this. She said, well, you know, I'm just not sure. That's not the answer you're ever looking for, but I'd rather be honest, wouldn't you, Brother Al? I'd rather be honest and let's get it settled than tell me a lie and then go on doubting. And she said, I've just done so many bad things in life. I looked at her and I said, Emily, let me tell you something. You may feel like you're the worst sinner in the world, but the Apostle Paul, he's already took that. <laughs> Chiefest of sinners. Chiefest of sinners. Paul said, and the Lord could save someone like me. It doesn't matter how far you've gone from the Lord. It doesn't matter how many years it's been since you've served Him. It doesn't matter what you've done in that interval. I'm here to tell you tonight that you don't have to be remembered that way. You can be remembered like John Mark is one that got their life right before their life ended. It's a sad thing for someone's last testimony to be that they turn their back on the Lord. It's a blessed thing and a testimony to the Lord for their last testimony to be that, yeah, they turned their back, but the Lord took them back. The Lord forgave them. The Lord welcomed them. The Lord worked in their life. By the end of John Mark's life, they tell us, of course, you can only put so much stock in these kind of things, but they tell us John Mark went on to serve the Lord in ministry, even pastoring. It's all because we've got a forgiving God. Hey, listen, you may have not even turned your back on the Lord in the sense of going out into full-blown worldliness or sin, but maybe there's some commitments that you made to the Lord that you've let slide. Can I tell you that the Lord's ready to forgive you for that? And the Lord's ready to help you get your life back where it needs to be? We see John Mark is remembered for his returning. I want to give you a third thing. We see a man by the name of Luke. We're all familiar with Luke, the beloved physician. And only just a little phrase is said about Luke. Paul says, only Luke is with me. Luke is remembered for his remaining. We don't know an immense amount about Luke. We actually know more from what Luke wrote than we do what's written about Luke. We do know he was a physician. We do know that he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And Paul could have probably said a lot of things about Luke. You know, no doubt Paul, whenever he was on his missionary journeys and he got uh, beaten or whipped or he got uh, stoned or any of the various things that had happened to Paul on his missionary journeys, it probably paid Paul to have a doctor along the way. And probably Luke had stayed up many nights helping to stitch and to clean his wounds, helping to get him back doctored to health. But Paul doesn't talk about his doctoring. No doubt Luke had spent much time picking Paul's brain, proverbially speaking, concerning the things of God. 
Uh, no doubt he had asked him many doctrinal questions. And you'll find in the book of Luke that uh, Luke uses this phrase very often, a certain man, a certain uh, person, a, a certain uh, mule, a certain this, a certain that. And I kind of think Luke could probably spend a lot of time making certain of some things doctrinally. But he's not remembered by those things. Paul says, I don't want you to remember that about Luke. What he wants you to remember about Luke is that Luke was a man that when things got difficult, he didn't give up. He was remembered for sticking in and staying put and holding out. We've never lived in a day of such deluded and weak Christianity. We've never lived in a day where Christians are less resilient than we are today. Do you know that it usually don't take much to get us out of church? In fact, it takes a lot less to get us out than it does to get us in. It doesn't take much to get us out of serving God. In fact, you'd be amazed some of the things as a pastor, some of the reasons that people have for not serving God. And the sad truth about it is this. One of these days, church, and I say this as a fellow Christian, one of these days, all of us, you and I, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or they be bad. That terrifies me. Terrifies me. It means God's going to ask Toby Weber what was so important that I couldn't serve him in this capacity, that capacity. That means those days, Brother Ralph, that I gave 50% instead of 100, maybe 45, or probably maybe 10, 15%. The Lord's going to ask me what was so important that it took precedent over Him. The Lord's going to ask me why I couldn't stick in at times. The Lord's going to ask me what was more important than Him. And you know, I think I'm going to have to give Him an answer. You don't have to believe that, but I believe that. I think I'm going to have to give Him an answer. The Bible says it will be judged according to every idle word. Now, I believe that deals with the words we've spoken in life, but I think we're going to have... That's what it means to give an account. I mean, to judge and to give an account are two different things. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may give an account. When you give an account of something, you're giving your explanation. Isn't that right? I mean, if they sit down with some witnesses at a crime and they say, we want your account of things... Saying, we want your explanation. We want your testimony. And it terrifies me sometimes, church, to think that I'm going to have to stand before God. And He's going to say, all right, I want you to tell me why it was you couldn't serve me. I want you to tell me when I was willing to go so far for you, why you weren't willing to go any farther than that for me. I want you to tell me why when I was so physically pained, I went on for you, but you wouldn't go on for me. I want you to tell me why when I gave so much to you, not having a place to lay my head, foxes have their holes, birds there have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head, why you couldn't give more for me. I'm going to have to give an account for that. I'm not, you say, preacher, you're preaching at me. No, I'm preaching at me. Because I'm not going to answer for you. You're not going to answer for me. I have no reason to be worried about how you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ except for uh, the concern I may have for you as a person. It's me I'm going to have to answer for. And it, it terrifies me, Brother Ralph, that I'm going to have to answer for that. 
I'm going to have to give an account. Luke was remembered because he stuck by it. Luke was, you know, it would have been easy for Luke. It would have been easy. Paul's in prison as he writes this. I don't know about you, neighbor, but if it had been me, I'd probably say, Brother Paul, be praying for you, and I'll see you later on. If I don't see you here or there, I'll see you in the air. I mean, I'm just telling the truth. But not Luke. Oh, Luke, Paul said, only Luke is with me. John Mark won. And let's go down the line. Barnabas won. Silas won. Apollos won. Peter wasn't. John wasn't. But old Luke, he may not have been really done much of anything. We never have one sermon recorded by Luke uh, that he preached. Don't have a single one. We don't know of a single time that Luke ever led in any kind of service. We don't have a single account where Luke ever performed any kind of miracle. In fact, all we really know about Luke is that he was faithful and he stuck by it when others won. Do you know that in God's book, that's enough? That's enough. We sometimes tend to believe if we can't do something in front of the public eye where we get a lot of accolades, that it's just not worth doing. God counts faithfulness. God counts faithfulness. It may not mean a lot to us. It may not mean a lot to those around us, but God counts faithfulness. And for all the things that could have been said about Luke, it said that Luke was with him. Luke stuck in. Luke stuck in through the beatings. Luke was there. When he's put in prison, Luke was there. When when the mobs came after Paul, guess where Luke was? Luke was there. In the midst of danger, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of suffering, Luke said, I'll just stick by Paul. I think it was really not as much even that he was sticking by Paul, you know. I think it was that he was sticking by the Lord. Lord, I'll stay in your service whatever it costs me. I'll stay in your service no matter how hard it is on me. Lord's not going to put you you in anything that you cannot honor Him in. Nothing. Luke says, I'll just keep on when others won't. I'm going to give you a final one. Look at verse number 8. Paul says, For henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This one's just after the effect. And I, I'm just going to give it to you real quick. Paul was remembered not for retreat, not for returning, not for remaining. But Paul's remembered for his reward. Paul says, you know, and I don't think Paul's wanting us to recognize his reward. Because you know what he says? He says, and not to me only, but unto all them. I think what Paul wants you to realize is this. Paul says, what I want you to remember about my life is that God rewards those that are faithful to Him. He says, I've finished my course. I've, I've kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. I've done all these things. But the greatest thing about my life, I can tell you, is that God's been good to me through the whole thing. Paul's remembered as a man that did something for Jesus Christ. In fact, if I was to ask you who the most prominent figure aside from our Lord is in the New Testament, you would no doubt say it was the Apostle Paul. Paul wouldn't have had that opinion of himself. Paul said things like this. He said, as we've already noted, that I was the chiefest of sinners. And you say, well, yeah, Paul says that about, you know, before he got saved. Of course he says that about before he got saved. I want nobody before I got saved. No, listen to what he says afterwards. He says, I am the least. In fact, he says, I am the, I'm less 
than the least of all the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle. Paul says, all these other men that you speak of, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie their shoes, fellas. I'm just a little man that God used in a mighty way because of God's goodness. I'll tell you something, if anything's going to be made out of your life, and I'm going to close with this thought, if anything's going to be made out of your life, it's going to be only because you gave it to Jesus Christ. That's it. You try to hang on to your life and do with it what you will, you'll make a failure of it. But if you'll give your whole life, body, soul, and mind, to Jesus Christ, you'll find He'll make more of it than you ever imagined. The problem is when we try to hold something back, Ralph. The problem is those that try to give their soul without giving their mind. Try to give their mind without giving their body. Try to give their body without giving their mind. They try to give these things to the Lord, and the Lord didn't pay for part of you, friend. He paid for all of you. And He can do something with all of your life. It's simple tonight, I know, but it's one of the greatest things we struggle with in our life is giving our whole being over to Him. You'll find this. You'll find that if you'll give your life to Jesus Christ, it's nothing to be scared of. I know how the flesh operates. And I know how the devil operates. And I know that he spends his time accusing and bullying the brethren. And I know that he's going to tell you, just like he did Adam and Eve, that the Lord's not really wanting your life for your good. He's wanting it for his good. But the great thing about the Lord is he can do things for his glory and for our good. He came to him in the Garden of Eden. You know what he said? Uh, they said, well, you know, the Lord has told us not to eat of this and not even to touch it, which was a lie. The Lord had never said that, but, but they said that. The devil said, no. It's not that the Lord wants what's best for you. It's that the Lord knoweth that in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil does his best to convince Christians they need to be scared of the will of God. But you'll find if you'll give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, there's not a thing to be scared of. You'll find more fulfillment and happiness and joy and peace. You'll find greater things in Jesus Christ than this world will ever, ever be able to offer you. What are you going to be remembered for in your life? I would say that tonight, if retreating has been on your mind, I would say don't listen to the temptation of the devil. Stay faithful to the Lord. Maybe if you have retreated tonight, can I tell you that returning is always an option with Jesus Christ. You can come back to the Lord. He's ready and willing. Can I say that if you've been remaining and it gets discouraging sometimes... Can I encourage you tonight to stay faithful to the Lord and to His Word? And I promise you that if you do, like the Apostle Paul, you'll be rewarded for it.